The animated short, Gone Nutty, opens with Scrat, a neurotic prehistoric squirrel storing up one last acorn before the Ice Age arrives. From all appearances, Scrat has been very, very busy. As he carries this last acorn to his lair, an old hollow tree, we get a peek at his vast treasure trove of nuts, which completely fills the inner cavity of the tree. Scrat lugs the acorn to the top of the tree and then tries to force it into the inner cavity of the tree, into the middle of the pile. It's a tight squeeze, but Scrat pushes the nut down into the center of the acorns, and he looks very pleased with himself as he walks away. But as he walks away, the nut pops out. Scrat calmly returns and pushes it back into place. As he turns to walk away, the nut pops out again. His frustration mounts as he pushes it down back into the hole. After the nut pops out a third time, Scrat becomes more aggressive. He jumps up and down on the acorn, trying to squeeze the stubborn nut into place. Finally, the pressure causes the storehouse to explode, sending the acorns and Scrat reeling down an icy incline and off a precipice. While Scrat free falls down the deep gorge, he desperately reaches to catch some of the acorns tumbling down alongside him. He succeeds in grabbing a bunch of acorns, only to slam hard to the canyon's icy floor. As Scrat comes to his senses, he spots an acorn speedily falling toward him. He frantically tries to avoid the impact, but is to no avail. What's worse, upon impact, the acorn actually triggers an intercontinental divide and leaves a beaten and bruised Scrat on an icy plateau. He reaches down to pull the, the one last remaining acorn out of the ice, and when he finally pulls the acorn free, it disintegrates into ashes. This morning, we're going to continue our sermon series on stories from the Old Testament called Stories We Know. We have been talking about well-known stories from the Old Testament. We've talked about the story of creation, how God created the heavens and the earth. We talked about the story of Noah and the flood and uh, how Noah obeyed God. Last week, we talked about Abraham's sacrifice and how Abraham obeyed God and was willing to sacrifice even that which was most precious to him because God told him to do so and he was willing to obey God. These are the stories that form the foundation of our faith. These are the stories that you may remember from Sunday school when you were growing up, if you went to Sunday school, like I did, every Sunday. Anybody remember the flannel graph? Yeah, a little flannel, yeah, okay. But uh, maybe you haven't heard these stories for a while, and that's why we're talking about them on Sunday morning. We're going to talk this morning about the story of the golden calf. We will discover that the obsessions and the idols of our world will one day simply turn to ashes and dust just like Scrat's acorn. Last week we talked about the story of Abraham's sacrifice. This week we fast forward through the end of Genesis to the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses was up on the mountain with God. Exodus 24:18 tells us that Moses went up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and the people were without their leader. They did not know where he went, and they did not know what had happened to him. He could have died up on that mountain for all they know. He was up there with God. Sure enough, you know, he could have died. The people were terrified of God, and in Exodus chapter 20, verse 19, they told Moses to talk to them instead of God because they believed that if God spoke to them, that they would die. So Moses' brother Aaron, the high priest, tells them to take off their earrings and give them to him. This is Moses' brother Aaron. He's the high priest of the people. He says, take off your earrings, take off your jewelry, and give it to me. He took the earrings and their gold, and he melted them down and fashioned them into, the, uh, into an idol in the shape of a calf. So he takes the gold and he puts it and he makes it into a, a, a golden calf. Okay, and but wait, but wait, there's more. Uh, Exodus 22, Exodus 20, verse 2 is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. God said, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's what God said. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. Out of, I brought you out of the land of slavery. The children of Israel had been in slavery for possibly 400 years in Egypt, according to one manuscript. God, in his great love and mercy, delivered his people from slavery. Now listen to what the Israelites said about the golden calf in Exodus 32, verse 4. Okay, this is what they say. Uh, they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. He took what they had handed him, made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, I just read for you Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. And in it, it said, God said, what did he say? He's, who brought them up out of Egypt? God, I, me, God, I brought you up out of Egypt. Aaron makes a golden calf. Moses is gone for 40 days. 40 days. That's like a month and a week and a half. You know, five and a half weeks, Moses is gone. The people lose their minds. And, they, and they're like, here, make us an idol. And, uh, and Aaron makes them an idol. And the people then say, aha, this golden calf brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Houston, we have a problem. When Aaron heard this, he built an altar in front of the golden calf. Now, if you got your Bible, turn to Exodus 32. <laughs> This, is, this story amazes me. Um, verses 5 and 6. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. You see, the funny thing about God, not so funny, uh, not, not, so, you know, not so you know, funny as in ha-ha funny, you know, that's a funny joke, knock-knock. Control freak, now you say control freak who? Um, thank you. Um, the funny thing about God is that he's, kind of, he's, he's omniscient, which means that God knows everything. God knows absolutely everything. Aaron and the Israelites might have thought that they were getting away with something. They're down there at the foot of the mountain. Moses has been gone for 40 days, and they're thinking, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I know. Let's make an idol and worship it. Um, Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 through 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. <laughs> I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Moses, God's mad. I mean, his anger. He says, I, I don't know about you, but if, if, if a burning bush were to appear on stage and God were to say, Sean, my anger burns against you, I, I'd be really, really scared. I'd be very, very afraid. God's, I can't imagine God as mighty, powerful, awesome, holy, strong, incredible as he is. I cannot imagine how much anger he has and what that anger would be like if it were burning. But the people pushed God too far and his anger was burning against them. Moses God told Moses, I'll make you into a great nation. Moses could be thinking, all right, get my own people, go down in history. Moses pleads with God for the lives of the Israelites. 
Moses pleads with God for, the, for, the, for, the, for his people. God was going to destroy, destroy them, but Moses begged God to spare them. And verse 14 tells us that God relented and did not destroy the people like he threatened. Moses takes the two tablets on which the Ten Commandments were inscribed. And he went down and Joshua met him and said, There is the sound of war in the camp. Moses said, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. Moses approached the camp of the Israelites and he threw the tablets to the ground when he saw the golden calf and the people dancing. The Bible says that his anger burned. Now I imagine Moses' anger burning was probably not as intense as God's anger burning. The Hebrew word that is translated as one's anger burning literally means nostril. Now you may be thinking, that's kind of strange. Have you ever been so angry that your nostrils flared? That you could breathe fire out of them? I think that's what it's getting at. That's how upset Moses was with the children of Israel. He burned the golden calf in fire. And he ground it into powder. And then he made the people drink it. Now that's burning anger. That is anger. Then he turns his, then he turns his attention to his brother Aaron. I've got two brothers. Okay? They've made me mad at points in my life. They've frustrated me. They've angered me. And, and there's nothing like you know, sibling rivalry. Moses turns his attention to Aaron. Verses uh, 21 through 24 of chapter 32. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I took them. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. What? I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Moses is an idiot, right? I mean, that's what Aaron must be thinking. Moses is, Moses is dumb. You know, he's my brother. I've known him my whole life, you know. I mean, he's, he's, he'll fall for this. I threw the gold in the fire, and out came this calf. Amazing, huh? Poof. Well, let's read the rest of the story. Exodus 32, 25 through 35. Moses saw that the people were running wild, and Aaron had let them get out of control, and so became a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of all that they had done, you know, this thing is bugging me. Um, even in the midst of everything that they had done, God in his grace and his mercy still pardoned them. Yes, he punished them. He punished 3,000 of them. And he did punish them. And they deserved the punishment for their sin. But God also pardoned them. 
He preserved them as a nation. And that's important because if the nation doesn't survive, the nation of Israel doesn't survive, then the Messiah doesn't come because God foretold that a Messiah would come from the nation of Israel. Even after blatant idolatry, God still forgave his people. If somebody offered you $2 million, could you give up sports for two years? Some of you are thinking, no problem, I don't do anything with it now. Others of you, maybe like me, would have a dilemma. Uh, that's a hard question. Well, this was a question a sports radio station once asked of its listeners. No games on TV, radio, or in the person. No sports page. No ESPN highlight films. No Tuesday morning arguing about Monday night football. One fan phoned in and said no. He would definitely not, up, not give up sports, not even for $25 million. It's where I turn when I pick up the paper in the morning, he said. It's where I go when I'm on the Internet. It's what I watch on television. It's what I listen to on the radio in the car. Everywhere I go, it surrounds everything I do. Now, just so you know, I was not that fan. You may be thinking that I was. I freely admit that I am a huge sports fan. Uh, but if anyone wants to give me two million bucks, you better believe I'll give up sports. You know, I, right now, you know, I'll go home. I'll, I'll throw my computer out the window if I have to. I'll... Uh, Burn my television, but uh, I'll give up anything, even Notre Dame football. Now, <laughs> for two million bucks, it would be hard, <laughs> but I, I, I find a way to do it. The point of the story is that we often look back at the Israelites and we think, how could they do that? I mean, these are the Israelites. They had, been, they had been freed from slavery. They saw 10 plagues on Egypt, the firstborn dying. You know, these people saw some amazing stuff. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Leading, uh, the, could anyone doubt God after watching the Red Sea get parted? I mean, you're standing there at the edge of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army's bearing down on you, and then God just goes, eh. The water parts, you walk through on dry, land, on dry land. How awesome is that? I mean, you're walking uh, on dry land in the, where a sea once was. You've seen God do all these amazing, incredible, powerful things. You're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. God is up on the mountain, just lightning and thunder and clouds and rah. You're standing there at the foot of the mountain. Moses is gone for 40 days. And you think, oh, well, you know, there's no God. Let's worship a calf. What is wrong with these people? How could they be so foolish as to craft a golden calf, bow down and worship it, and not think that they were going to infuriate God? <laughs> the fact of the matter is, we're not so different. In many ways, we are just like them. Well, Sean, I've never bowed down and worshipped a golden calf. If you were to put a golden calf up there in place of the cross, I'd, I'd go to a different church. I wouldn't bow down and worship that golden calf. You know what? We have idols. In the 21st century, we have idols. You and me. And we worship them. We, uh, we think of idolatry as bowing down to an image of stone or metal, like some kind of figurine that people bow down to. I remember one, some, someone once saying that an idol is anything that comes between you and God. An idol is anything that comes between you and God. If something gets in the way of your relationship with God, then it is an idol. If you love something or someone more than God, then he, she, or it is an idol. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. We live, I don't know if you know this or not, we live in a greedy nation. 
We are greedy people. We are never satisfied with the things that we have. We are never content with what God has given us. And we pine for, strive for, work for, and even die for more. People steal and kill for the idols of this world. Material possessions and money are huge idols in our world today. You know what? I, more than that, though, I believe the entertainment. I believe the entertainment is a huge idol in our country, in, our, in its many forms. It might be television, movies, music, or sports. You want to know how much money is spent on entertainment in this country? Sorry, dude. I've got to say it. People spent $158 million last weekend to go see the new Batman movie. And I'll admit, my 950 was a part of that. <laughs> and then seven bucks yesterday when I went and saw it a second time. I, I didn't say it was perfect. <laughs> People spent over $9.6 billion last year to see movies. <laughs> we, have, we have homeless people in our country, right? We've got people who, who don't have food to eat. We've got people who don't have roofs over their heads. We've got people who don't have health insurance. Who are, you know, We've got people losing their houses and mortgages and stuff, and yet we'll, we'll fork down $9.6 billion to go to the movies for two hours of escapism. I, now, look, I, I'm not perfect. I've been to the movies. Part of my, you know, I put down the money too. I could have taken that money. I could have sent it to a needy kid down in, you know, uh, down uh, in New Orleans where, you know, still struggling with the Hurricane Katrina. I, I could have done that, but I went to the movies instead. $16.50 in the last week. We have spent this year over $5 billion to see movies. $5 billion. Um, CDs and cassettes. Uh, over, I, I, it was like over 5 million CDs and cassettes were sold last year. Over 840 million digital audio files were purchased over the internet. The police, not the, not the cops, the police, the band, their reunion tour last year sold 1.15 million concert tickets. 1.15 million concert tickets. Earned $131 million. Ticket prices? Averaged $114.32 for 90 minutes of 80s rock. And you know what? That's not even the most expensive average ticket from last year. The average cost of a ticket to see Barry Manilow was $141.72. He writes the songs that make the whole world sing, man. I <laughs> so far this year, concert tickets have sold $1.05 billion dollars. Concert tickets. Should I talk about how much money is spent on sports in this country? The world's top 10 athletes made over $460 million last year. And half of them live in the United States. Tiger Woods made $128 bucks last year. I could live on that. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I think I could manage. Um, he, he has made over $800 million in his 13-year career. I've been preaching for 11 years. I haven't made anywhere near $800 million. Of course, I can't hit a golf ball either, but money is an idol. Entertainment is an idol. Sex is an idol in our country. Over $13 billion is spent every year on pornography. Nearly $100 billion spent worldwide. It's a golden calf in our world today. There are other golden calves that we worship in America. Some people worship the earth and the creation rather than the creator. Some people worship celebrities. 
How many magazines do you stand there in the line at the grocery store and how many magazines are devoted to celebrities? Millions of dollars paid to Brad and Angelina for the first pictures of their twins. How much? uh, Millions of dollars, literally. So we can see Brangelina's kids first. Some people worship at the altar of power. Some people worship the church, when in reality it is the church that should be worshiping God. Do you think you might be worshiping a golden calf in your life? Here's how you can tell. Two things. Check your daily planner. Check your checkbook. What do you spend the most time doing? And on what do you spend the most money? Matthew 6.21 says, For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. What we treasure most is what we will spend the most time doing and what we will spend the most money, money on. It could be work, which is not a bad thing in and of itself, but when it becomes an obsession and takes away from time with God, then it becomes a golden calf. Frank Sinatra's daughter, Tina, recalled her father's unceasing drive to succeed and make money, even when his health was at risk. His health was in tatters and his life mired in financial wrangles, but my father refused to stop giving concert. I've just got to earn more money, he said. His performances, sad to say, were becoming more and more uneven. Uncertain of his memory, he became dependent on teleprompters. She said, when I saw him at Desert Inn in Las Vegas, he struggled through the show and felt so sick at the end that he needed oxygen from a tank that he kept on hand. At at another show, he forgot the lyrics to Second Time Around, a ballad he had sung a thousand times. His adoring audience finished it for him. I couldn't bear to see Dad struggle, she said. I remembered all the times he repeated the old boxing maxim, you got to get out before you hit the mat. He wanted to retire at the top of his game, and I always thought he would know when his time came, but pushing 80, he lost track of when to quit. After seeing one too many of these fiascos, I told him, Pop, you can stop now. You don't have to stay on the road. With a stricken expression, he said, No, I've got to earn more money. I have to make sure everyone is taken care of. So what's the answer? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave us the answer in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus was talking about all the things that preoccupy our minds. He was talking about all the things we worry about, what we eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, especially me. He was talking about the golden calves that we worship. Why should we worry and run after these things when our Father knows that we need them and he will provide them for us? Instead of running after the things of this world, we must seek after the kingdom and righteousness of God. That means putting God first. It means putting away all of our golden calves of money, sex, power, entertainment, leisure, and even Notre Dame football. In Exodus 34, 14, God said, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Our loyalties and allegiances must belong to God first and foremost. Earlier this month, we celebrated the 232nd birthday of our country. What a great country. What a great country we live in. It it is filled with beauty, and it stands for ideals like freedom and liberty. But we are a nation that worships golden calves. We are people who bow down to golden calves. And it is time that the church takes the lead and repents of idol worship. As the church, we must melt down those calves and return our worship to where it truly belongs, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He sacrificed everything for the sake of our eternal souls. Let us praise him and adore him and worship him alone. We're going to sing a song of imitation called You're Worthy of My Praise. What things do we worship? 
What things do we honor? What things do we praise in our lives? Do we honor, worship, and praise God alone? What will we give up for Jesus? What will we give up for him? Will we melt those idols? Will we do away with those golden calves? will, Will we give up the things that we worship so that we can worship God alone? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are a people not unlike the Israelites. We worship the things of this world. It may not be golden calves, literally, but there's things like money and greed, entertainment, power, all these things that we worship, Lord, that, that are idols. I pray that you would help us to repent, that you'd help us to turn away from the idols of this world and give you our worship that you and only you deserve. Thank you, God, for being forgiving, for being full of grace, for being merciful, for it is grace and mercy that we need. Please forgive us for the idol worship in our lives and help us to change. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.